we're going to be talking from uh, Job 38 to 42. And when I, when I study the Bible, I believe in the principle of mass. And that just simply means God wrote a lot in the Pentateuch. He wrote a lot of history. He gave us a lot of prophets. He gave us the uh, Gospels. That's a big section. He gave us the epistles. So we ought to spend time in all those, right? Right. Um, in Job 38 to 42, four-fifths of it is God talking about creation. So we're going to spend a lot of time in creation this morning. So it'll be kind of fun. I hope so. Uh, first of all, reviewing what, where we are up to now, there is a scene in heaven right at the beginning of Job where God talked to Satan, and Satan kind of has a sore head and says, eh, the reason Job loves you is because you're so good to him. So God says, okay, have at it. And all these disasters happen to Job, and Job, poor guy, you know, why was I born? Then his friends come to meet him, and I love his friends because they sat with him for seven days and didn't say anything. They just listened to him. And if they'd stopped there, we wouldn't have a book of Job, but, uh, <laughs> but that was the right thing to do. And then they talked at him, well, look, Job, um, you must have done something bad. God is righteous. He punishes evil. He did this to you. Therefore, you need to repent. And Job says, well, no. I didn't do evil as far as I know. Um, don't know what all this is about. And I, I think that God owes me an explanation. And, that, and they talked this over for a while. And fortunately, that's behind us. So let's, um, let's talk about chapter 38 and 39. And before we get there, I want to just go back to creation. At the, and, and this is right out of Genesis, the first part of chapter 1. There's this earth that doesn't have an atmosphere, it doesn't have water, it doesn't have continents, it's just kind of a blob. And then the Spirit of God is brooding over it. And then on day one, God says, let there be light. Now this is Tom's interpolation, but wherever there's light, there's heat. So I have the impression that the earth needed to be warmed, warmed up a bit. Makes sense. So you also had rotation of Earth. If it, if it hadn't started up to then, it happened on day one, because you had day and night. And I'm a, I'm a chemical engineer educated at one of the best scientific institutions on the West Coast. And I believe in creation, 24-hour days, six days. I, I know the other story, of course. There's a lot of holes in it. I'm not going to go into all those holes, because, again, I don't have three hours. <laughs> Um, but I just want to tell you, as far as I'm concerned, you either believe the miracles that go with the Bing Bag theory, or you believe the miracles that go with God creating all this. It's one set of miracles or the other. So anyway, um, we're up to day two, and God says, I'm going to make an expanse in the heaven, and that expanse is just the air we breathe. And there's going to be clouds above and water below. And you separate the waters from the waters, that doesn't sound like much, but weather started then, winds started then. Rain and snow and mist and everything else started on day two. And that was getting ready for day three when he said, I'm going to bring up the earth and divide the waters from the waters. You're going to have continents. You're going to have um, islands. And also on day three, grass started growing and fruit trees started growing, and uh, bushes and herbs and whatnot. And that was neat because all those things that have happened 
up to day three were needed for later on when we make the, the animals and the plants and whatnot. They needed something to eat. Uh, day four is really interesting. God made the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, when you think about that, the sun is 93 million miles away, and we orbit, orbit it at a speed of about 66,000 miles an hour. Now, if you're wondering how I got that, I, I like to do math occasionally. I'm going to do some math. Okay, speed is distance over time, right? You guys agree with that? Yeah. Like miles per hour? Does that make sense? Okay, so let's talk about one year. How far does the Earth go around in one year? Well, it goes, uh, you, most of you know it's 93 million miles times 2 pi, okay? So that's the radius, that's 2 pi, that gives you the, the whole trip around. Now, the time, again, this is one year, this has got to be one year. So what's the time? So it's 24 hours, 365 days. As, as anyone knows, it's 8,760 8, hours. And if you multiply that out, uh, I, I like numbers, but what can I say? So I, I can't do this in my head, but I did, do, did it ahead of time. Okay. Now, now, you're actually right. However, the final answer is only the two digits. So as long as these are all the two digits, we're, we're close enough. But that is more accurate. Okay. Okay. So, so just a minute. I went through all that to tell you that the inference for me is day one, the Earth is just sitting here spinning. Day four, there's a sun out there that's going to suck it in unless we give it a shove and start it on its orbit. So God shoved the Earth. Maybe he did it verbally. Maybe he actually pushed. That's amazing. All those stars out there? The Big Bang guys will tell you, well, initially the Earth was this incredibly hot, incredibly massive egg, and it blew up. And then in about 300,000 years, things started coalescing into atoms. And it was still cooling down. And then big clouds of gas kind of coalesced under gravitation. They formed stars. The only problem with that is the guys who understand this, and I don't, everything I've told you so far I don't understand. The guys who understand this say that you can't form stars out of a cloud of, cloud of gas plus gravity. You've got to get a whole lot of pressure. You've got to get a million degrees of temperature, more than a million to light off that thermonuclear reaction to make hydrogen into helium and, and so on. Can't do that with gravity. So we don't really know where the stars came from. So that, that's a miracle you've got to swallow. But they're there. But they're there. Apparently there's 100 million or 100 billion stars in the galaxies and there's like 100 billion galaxies. And this sort of stuff should blow your mind and that's why I'm telling it to you and that's why God's telling it to us. So. That's kind of neat. So I'm, I'm going to stop there, and we're going to get to Job chapter 38. By the way, you know what happened on day five and six? We had fish and birds, and then we had animals, and Adam and Eve.
so we've been we've been talking to Job and we've been talking to his friends and the Lord chapter 38 the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge now prepare yourself like a man I will question you and you will answer me and these are really rhetorical questions God's just going to talk at him for a while and he's not really expect an answer So, verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. What about that earth? You know, it's 8,000 miles from pole to pole, and it's spinning around, and how did it get there? How did, you know, I don't know. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Um, to what were its foundations fastened? Well, it didn't have a foundation, you know. Verse 7 is really interesting. Um, who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Um, the Almighty, His Son, His Spirit created all this, but there are angels around. There are angels watching, right? And I think they're going crazy. If you listen to the creation by Haydn, there'll be... Um, Someone will sing, this is what the scripture said about day one. Then there will be an air about, they'll kind of expostulate, just like I've been talking about the wonderful thing that God just did. And then there will be a chorus, which is all the angels praising God. And some of, excuse me, some of those choruses are the most moving things I've ever heard. So we need to remember that, that when God does something wonderful, the angels are cheering, and presumably the demons are booing. Yeah, so the sons of God shouted for joy. And then, secondly, verse 8, Who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst forth? Um, Lynette and I watched something on TV last night. It was one of those nature shows, and it was about giant killer waves. You know, th those are kind of cool. You know, they talk about tsunamis and all that. But basically, three-quarters of the Earth is water, and then you have the continents, and at the margins of the continents you have beaches, and the water pretty much stays for all that huge energy, for all that water, for all those winds. The water stays where it belongs and the land stays where it belongs. Isn't that amazing? I don't know. I think it is. Um, let's see. In verse 11, he said, When I said to the water, This far you may come and no farther, and here your proud ways must stop. In verse 12 to 15, I'm going to go slow now and then later on we'll speed up. In verse 12, 15, we talk about the morning. And that's that, um, that line of light that's continually going from New York to Denver to L.A. to across the ocean where darkness turns into light. Then it's daytime. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a seal and it stands out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and the upraised arm is broken. There's a couple things that occur to me here. In the Bible we talk about light and darkness. It's like I've been talking about light and darkness. And we also talk about, in John 1, 
speaking of Jesus, we say, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And later on in John it says, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men prefer darkness rather than light. So there's a good and a bad there. And somehow bad is tied in with darkness. So it's like you go into your garage and turn on the light and there's cockroaches and they run away. Seriously, that's what this, that's what this evokes to me. Um, and you know, if you're driving around late at night, you might get hit by a drunk or you might get mugged or something. But around 5.30 in the morning now, the, light, the sun comes out in its light and you don't worry about those things anymore. So God's delivering us from darkness every 24 hours. Interesting. Okay. Um, just because I like to, I'm going to talk about light some more. In verse 19, we say, we, 19, uh, chapter 38, where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? And in verse 24, by what way is light diffused? or the east winds scattered over the earth. You guys ever seen a rainbow? It's really neat. Um, if you do the math, and I won't do it, but uh, you've got the sun here, and you've got clouds here, and it's raining, you know, and your eye may be here, and, and the sun hits, hits the clouds and comes back to your eye, and there's sort of a bow, you know? There's a bright spot. And inside the bright spot, inside that bright arc, it's, it's also bright there. And if you've ever looked, it's dark out here. So that gives us some nice contrast. I, I'm sorry if you guys if this uh, is in the way, but anyway. I always thought that was kind of neat. And then the fact that the colors split up a little bit, this bright spot turns into colors. I always thought that was kind of neat. Another thing about light is, um, suppose this is an aquarium, okay, it's full of water, and here's a fish, and here's the fish's eye, and the fish is looking at, I'm standing out here, okay, here, here's my eye, and I'm looking at the fish, and, and the light sort of goes like that. Now why doesn't the light, and, and if he's looking at me that follows the same path, why does that bend? Well, we can tell you Snell's Law and explain all that in physics, but that's just an observation. We don't really understand. The fact is, light travels at, well, I'll just say C. I will give you the number. Um, in here, in this water, it travels at C over N, and N, N, N for water is about 1.33. So it travels slower in the water, and the light actually takes the least time path. Does that make sense? Okay, now you understand what I just told you. I just drew you a picture. Do we really understand why that happens? But that's, that's cool, I, I think. So the fish sees me, I see the fish, and the light doesn't go straight. As I look at K, the light is going straight between us, and that's also a least time path, but that's no big deal, right? Anyway. So in, in 24, it says, by what way is light diffused? How does it get from here to there? In verse 31, I'll just touch on that. Can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? He's talking about 
groups of stars, right? Can you bring out Maseroth or can you guide the Great Bear? Do you, you know? Um, it's interesting to me that he's saying, can you even put these stars together? These are the same stars that in chapter 9 Job talked about. So God's been listening to Job, even though maybe he didn't think he was. Okay, let's see. Let's turn to um, chapter 39 and hit a couple of sections. In chapter 39, we're going to talk about the goats in verse 1, and then we're going to talk about the horse in verse 19. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear their young? Or can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? What does that mean? Well, he's talking about bearing young in the, in the verse before. So it's probably how long they're pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, what's their gestation period? Imagine God worrying about that. But apparently that all fits into some sort of plan. The plan's too big for me, but there, I think there is a plan about goats and bearing young and so on. They bow down, they bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring in verse 3. Then in verse 4, their young ones are healthy, they go strong with grain, they depart, they depart and do not return to them. Um, yes? I think God was, was telling Job at this time about something that's only is told in stories. I mean, this probably goes uh, on mountains that aren't in their daily lives that they've only heard stories that there might be goats up on the hill. And God says, do you know about the intricate <coughs> lives of these things? Um, you know, are you aware of that? No, I'm the one that's watching over basically the sparrow. I'm the one watching over the, the activities of things that we don't have any knowledge of that are here on the earth. So he's telling them something that they kind of knew, but they didn't really know, and just tell him. Yeah, th you know, that makes a lot of sense. That ties in with the next part. Um, he talks about wild donkeys and wild oxen. Now they were familiar with tame donkeys and tame oxen, but they really didn't know anything about. Oh, well, he's on a speck of dirt somewhere, you know. Yeah. And he's talking about wild goats, maybe in Colorado. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, he's like, yeah. you know, you're on your little speck here, but I take care of the sparrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one that watches the pregnancies. I'm the one that watches over and makes sure that the offsprings are healthy. I'm the one that does all that. Do you know? Are you involved in that? Do you know? You guys all hear that? Yeah. I, I think that's a great observation. <laughs> makes you feel little, doesn't it? Makes you feel little. Maybe that's why God's saying all this. Um, let's see. So we're going to go from God taking care of all kinds of things we don't know then let's, let's talk about the horse in verse 19. Have you given the horse strength? Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? I love this in 21. He paws in the valley and he rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. And here we're talking about battle. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver, meaning arrows, rattle against him, the spear and javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage. So he's not that cockroach that's running away from me when, when I turn on the light. He's 
he's saying, let's go for it. Let, let's, he's brave and strong. Apparently, God has a lot of regard for horses. So if you're a horse lover, this is it's for you. Yeah. 25, at the blast of a trumpet, he says, aha, you know. <laughs> then he talks about birds flying. Um, so th that's it for 38 and 39. Um, if you want, um, spend some more time on that. Let's, go, let's hop over. There's a conversation between Job and God in the first seven verses of 40. We're going to skip that just now. And we're going to go to verse 8. God is speaking to Job, and he says, Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? And I think here is Job's sin right here. He said, God, you're wrong. And no, he didn't know what he's talking about. So if you want to condemn me, Job, let's read through the next few verses. Have you an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty, splendor, glory, and beauty. Verse 11, uh, look on everyone who is proud and humble him. In verse 12, tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust. If you can do all that, Job, we get to verse 14. Then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. Could Job save himself? No. So God's giving him a little bit, a picture of God now. Then we're going to um, talk about two more animals and we're done. Um, in chapter 40, verse 15, we talk about the behemoth. Now this guy lives on the land. My note says a large animal exact identity unknown. So I thought he was a hippopotamus. I thought he was an elephant. He doesn't exactly fit either one. Maybe some kind of dinosaur. He eats grass like an ox. In 16, his strength is in his hips and his power in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. So this is a tough animal. He's a big animal too. And we have a little hint about how God regards this in 19. In 19, he is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring near his sword. He is the first of the ways of God. To me, God says, you know what? This is one of my prize exhibits right here, this behemoth. He's big and strong. He goes where he wants. Um, and only he who made him can bring near his sword. You're not going to conquer this guy unless you're God. And even though he's so big and strong, we read on, the mountains yield food for him, and the beasts of the fields play there. He lies under the lotus trees and covered of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with shade. The willows by the brooks surround him. The river may rage, but he's not disturbed. He is confident, though the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though he takes it in the eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. So he's big, but he's somewhat placid. 
So that's uh, Behemoth, now Leviathan, another, another monster. Can you draw Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue? Um, just a minute. A large sea creature, exact identity unknown. Again, we don't know. But. Can you snare him with a hook? Or, uh, let's see, can you put a reed through his nose in verse 2? And by a reed, I think they mean a spear. Or pierce his jaw with a hook. In verse 3, we have a little sarcasm. Will he make many supplications? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant? And so on. And then in verse 6, will your companions make a banquet of him? In other words, are you going to catch him and sell him at the fish market? And the answer to all these questions is no. Can you, in seven, can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. In other words, if you get in your little boat and go out and say you've got a harpoon and a mile of, of uh, rope, just, you know, in case he runs from you, you're going to harpoon him maybe a couple of times, and he's going to run, and you're going to have a battle on your hands. And he'll drag you, maybe he'll drag you under. Maybe he'll splinter your boat. You'll never do it again. That's kind of like Dan was saying. This is something that happens, we've heard stories about, but we haven't experienced ourselves. Okay, it, and it, then for 24 more verses, he talks about how fierce this thing is. Let's see. In 14, it talks about his face and his terrible teeth, and in 15, about his scales. In 18, his sneezings flash forth light. And 19, out of his mouth go, apparently he's fire breathing, huh? Smoke goes out of his nostrils in 20. Wow. 25, when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. And let, let's, let's go down to the, next, to the end of the chapter. In 33, on earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. So now we've, t we've spent almost a half an hour talking about creation, about light and planets and the sea and the sea monsters and the hippo and all that. And this is just, just some notes I made. The nature of the creation is great mystery, a lot of things we don't know. Infinite variety. How many butterflies are there? Hundreds. How many insects are there? You know, infinite variety. I went outside this morning, went for a walk, and I heard birds singing. I don't know how many there was. There's at least 10 or 20. Incredible knowledge. Who, who, who put all this together? Who made this all happen? That little bit about I described about the four days of creation, all that was set up to enable us to live, to enable the wild goats to live. And, it, and, it, and God keeps on managing that. He hasn't stopped. Power and control over everything. So if that's the creation, what does that say about the Creator? Same thing. Now, about the monsters we've just been talking about, God created them 
There's nothing like them, right? So there's nothing like God. Um, there's one big point I want to raise right now, and that is all the way through we've been asking ourselves, why did this horrible thing happen to Job? Why did this happen to Job? Silence. God never addresses that. And I got to thinking about that, and the whole point of this is my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So there is a reason. Um, we can say, well, God made a fool out of Satan. And since then, millions and millions of people have read this story and have hopefully gotten something out of it. So there is, there is a reason for this to have happened. But maybe God didn't give them the reason just because Look, guys, there's too many blockheads out there. Every time something happens, you've got to find a reason for it. You've got to tell Marty, this is why you're in trouble. <laughs> Although, I don't know, you're probably not in trouble right now, but you will be someday. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that God meant that for us prospective comforters of people who are in trouble. Look, just listen. Don't try and always find a way. And there's really kind of a paradox here, and, and I've recognized this before, is that God wants you, God commands you to study his word. God commands you to love me with all your heart. God commands you to love your neighbors yourself. God, God wants you to use your mind and your emotions and all the gifts he's given you, right? But at the same time, there are things that are beyond us. There are things that are above us. And at that point, the, the talking and the studying and the figuring out the reasons has to stop. And I can't tell you when. <laughs> I can't tell you when that is. Um, I guess that's where wisdom comes in. Okay, so that's, um, that's about the creation part. Now we're going to talk about um, God and Job conversing together. Let's go to chapter 40, verse 1 through 8. There's really one question and one answer. God says, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. In other words, Job, I'm not at fault here. Okay? That you're trying to find fault where there isn't any but don't blame it on God. And Job's answer is, now that he's heard all this about the horse and the donkey and the stars and so on, Job's answer is, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. So Job says, Lord, I've got nothing to say. Okay. And then um, the Lord goes on for two chapters, and then we'll pick it up in, in chapter 42. Um, we've just been talking about Leviathan. And Job answered the Lord, chapter 42, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hide counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And Job actually makes a confession. 
I think last week we said that Job needed to repent. Job was a good man, but even good men need to repent. So, things which I did not know. Um, verse 4, listen please, let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Did, it, did any of you guys think of Isaiah 6 and the vision, his vision of seeing God? And the first thing out of Isaiah's mouth was, Lord, woe is me. I'm unclean. I think when you see God, you feel unclean. You know you're unclean. And I would say the, um, the top two, oh, before I get to that here, God, God knows what he's doing. You guys convinced of that now? Okay. So if he knows what he's doing about those wild goats up there that are pregnant and have young and the young grow up, then he knows what he's doing to each one of us here, right? And then the second thing, which we just stumbled over, when I see God, I see myself accurately. That's just knowledge. If I don't spend time with God, I'm going to be misled. And God did, the, God did the honor of paying Job a visit, and he'll do, the, do us the same honor. Then the application from that, and I'm, I think I just am getting to the end pretty quick here, but anyway. The application here is, number one, work at knowing God. Does that make sense? And one of, the, one of the ways you can get to know God is your own quiet time, and we've talked about that. And one of the ways is corporate worship. When you, when you go in there on a Sunday morning, jump in, participate. When you sing, sing. When, when someone's praying, you, you pray with them. You know, I know there's some, some people up in the balcony going like this, but uh, just ignore them and, uh, and get with it, you know? It's, it's easy, I suppose, if you're a musician like me to, uh, you know, we're making all this noise and it's wonderful and all that, but we can check out too, you know. Like that song has the same four chords over and over and over. <laughs> anyway. So anyway, when you're in corporate worship, jump in and participate. Seek opportunities to meet God. Um, I think I mentioned I have a recording of Haydn's The Creation. Sometimes when I'm sick and I'm sitting home, I'm too sick to go to work, I'll sit home and listen to The Creation. And it's just a blessing. Or when you go for a walk again, you know, oh, trees, birds. I, I have a little granddaughter who's one and a half. She's, she's 20 months now. Her name is, um, starts with ma'am, Madeline. And uh, yesterday, she was, we were at my daughter's house, and she was running back and forth to Lynette and I, and then she's going over and stripping all the flowers off this one shrub. And to her, everything is wonderful, you know, and maybe it needs to be to me too. She brought us these little flowers that are, there's white flowers in the middle and pink flowers on the outside, and the center of each one is orange, and um, I don't know if she appreciated that, but I did. 
And then there's another plant that she's just kind of... <laughs> and every time she goes outside, she wants to kind of go around to all the different ones. And she'll go up to a tree and say bird in her own language, because that's birds are in trees, right? <laughs> so anyway, enjoy what's out there. So that's about knowing God. The second point is during the trial, remember what you know about God. Remember what you know for sure. And when you're suffering, you don't usually think too clear. So check yourself. What do I know about God? God loves me. God is great. God is in control of all this stuff. You know that, right? E even when you're sick and in pain, you know that. And then count on God to be true to his nature. Count on, expect him to do what God does. How did I write that here? During the trial, remember what you know about God and expect him to do it. And um, I had a friend, Steve Rask, who uh, a number of years ago, his 17-year-old daughter died. It was just kind of a sudden something wrong in her brain and it and just within days, it seemed like, boom, she's gone. We didn't know why. I still don't know why. Um, we just kind of, it, it's interesting, Steve taught me this lesson, because I used to go to his Bible study. When you're hurting, remember what you know about God. And so I, I was able to use that with him. I was able to bring him to God. And um, it's a great thing. I'm going to do about five minutes on the restoration part, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, after the Lord spoke these words to Job, then he had something to say to Eliphaz and Bildad and those guys. He said in verse 7, My wrath is aroused against you because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So that was their sin. They didn't speak about God what was right. They assumed every time something happens... God's punishing someone. All you got to do is repent. Well, that's true some of the time. It's not true some of the time also. So God says to them in verse 8, Take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You know, so he repeats that. So in this case, they're not sacrificing to Job. Job is acting as a priest. Okay? He's accepting their sacrifice and giving it to God. So they sacrificed and Job prayed for his friends, and when Job prayed for his friends, he was restored. Amazing thought, huh? Yes. I think that's just the good that he did that because his friends, his friends, yes. Absolutely. You know, wasn't he just simply praying for friends that still loved him and all was good? He was attacked. Jesus said that, didn't he? Pray for your enemies. Yeah. 
Okay, so the Lord blessed him, and he his family came back and gave him money, and he had, uh, let's see, sheep and camels. And I think Job must have been a millionaire. Um, he had sheep and camels, and he had seven sons and three daughters and a long life, and that's cool. And that says to me, God knows what we like. Right? That's always amazing, too, that he had brothers and sisters and other people, and none of them came to his aid. I wondered about that, too. Yeah. I, I don't know. That, you know I remember yeah. pointing again this week, and I go, I've forgotten that he had relatives and brothers and sisters, and they just completely ignored him. So. Hmm. Or maybe it was just a wound. Maybe it was just didn't want to <laughs> they might have been close by, but while these three guys were, or these four guys were talking to him, they might have just, you know, camped out on one side. I don't know. <laughs> well, if I go to visit someone in the hospital and there's someone already in there, I'd probably let them do their thing for a while. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's a good but question. Sometimes when we have a lot of people surrounding us, and you have one person that is badgering you or making false claims about you, which voice is the loudest? Yeah. That one. So anyway, God blessed him. If you go back to the beginning, he had seven sons and three daughters, and now he has 14 sons and six daughters, counting the dead and the living. So in, in, in heaven, he has double. How about that? So that's the story of Job. Um, God evidently wanted us to spend some time on that, so that's, uh, that's neat. Before we do the prayer time, I want to just pray about this. Um, Can I make a yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah, I agree. It's just amazing to think about the magnitude of that. It's beyond our comprehension until we see it again for ourselves. Um, I was thinking about singing this, but I'll just say it. Um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. We sang that in the early service, if you came. Um, that, by the way, is the song that has four chords over and over. But um, so, so I, I try to sing when I play, because the, sometimes the words are so much better. And anyway, that's, that's what we're doing. We're bringing words to each other or words to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. God likes compliments on his creation, I think. <laughs>